If you're turning your, your Bibles with me, we'll be reading from 1 John chapter 1, verses 7 through 9. Again, 1 John chapter 1, verse 7 through 9, I'll be reading from the New King James Version. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In my final semester before I graduated from college, I only needed 12 hours or so to finish, and so I took a a pretty basic Bible class that was pretty easy, but I remember pretty vividly it was 8.30 in the morning. In your last year in college, or last semester in college, 8.30 is pretty early, um, though you ought to be getting up early to prepare for the rest of your life, but that was pretty early. And I remember I took this class with some of my friends. It wasn't required, just kind of a, a fun thing that we did. And I remember one morning in particular that we got up for this class, and we were running just a little bit late, and we were being pretty lazy. And this is a picture of the third floor of the Gardner Center on Free Hardeman's campus. And we rode the elevator that morning, which again, pretty lazy thing to do. We rode the elevator up to the third floor, and we got off that elevator, and we needed to head to that door. And so we started walking, and we started acting like some junior high kids, and we started racing. And so we kind of started off in that fast walk, you know, where you're kind of walking fast, and it turns into this, this race, and we get to this point, and we, we rush through the door, and by this point, we're really acting like, like children, and we break into a sprint, and we run all the way down the hall to, to this door, and my friend had beaten me to the door, and he was standing right there in front of the door, and so I, um, I, I did kind of a stupid thing, and I, I put my shoulder down, and my shoulder's a little broader than his, and I plowed him through the wall. In fact, you can barely see it in this picture. It's, the lighting's not perfect, but you can see, I took this picture a, a while ago, you can see where the, that's been replaced. This was 20 years ago, and you can still see, a little less than 20 years ago, um, and that's a zoom in, you can see where the drywall was replaced where I pushed my, my friend through the wall. We went into the class, um, I don't know if you've, I know you've had several professors here from Freed Hardman, Dr. David Leip, you ever had Leip here before? I don't know. He's a little bit scary, right? One of those guys. Great teacher, but he's scary. And so he came in after this had happened, and he walks right by this big hole in the wall, and he walks in, and he gives it to us. Now, he didn't know who it was. He didn't really care who it was, but man, he ripped into the class about how someone's mama gave money to build this building, and look what you're doing to it. It was one of those moments that scared us to death. Now, I look back on that moment, that was a, that was a stupid thing that we did. And it makes for a funny story, and it would be fun to go around the room and all of us tell of some of the stupid things that we did when we were younger, and we would laugh and have good stories. And, and that's great, and that's fun, and we do those sorts of things in life, some of us more often than others. But we also sometimes do more than stupid things. We do, even as followers of Jesus, we do sinful things. And sometimes we go through phases, maybe just days, where it's not a good day spiritually. You ever had one of those days? I'm guessing it's not just me. Where you know who you're called to be as a follower of Jesus and you wanna do what's right, but maybe you didn't get enough sleep. Maybe there were other factors. Maybe you're going through a difficult time. And, and that particular day, you're just not who you wanna be spiritually. 
and you struggle, and, and maybe whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever temptation in particular that you struggle with, you struggled a little bit more with it that particular day or those couple of days or a week or so. And I think after those, those sorts of days, we lay our heads down on our pillow at night, and we pray and we ask God for forgiveness, but we wonder where we are with God. Like, we wonder about our relationship with God, and I think sometimes when I've gone through phases like that, I lay my head down on my pillow, I pray about it, but I think, boy, I hope Jesus doesn't come back tonight, because I sure don't feel like I'm in a very good spot with him. Surely I'm destined for hell. And though we know what the Bible says and what the scripture that we just read says about confessing our sins and how he'll forgive us, we still struggle with the confidence that we ought to have. If you've been with us throughout the weekend, on Friday night we talked about how loved we are. Last night we talked about how forgiven we are and how this morning we're brought into this family to be together. And here's the challenge. Once you get to that point, I think we're often left with a question. Well, that's fine and that's good and that's exciting, but what happens once I'm a follower of Jesus and I still mess up? If you're watching online and you're thinking about becoming a Christian, you may have that question too, and you think, that's fine, I want to be forgiven of my sins, but do I have to be perfect then? Well, here's the reality. None of us in this room are perfect. And all of us, though we're trying to grow, struggle with, with specific sins, and we mess up. How do we deal with that? Beyond just laying our heads down on our pillows at night and questioning whether we're saved or not. To help us deal with that tension, I want us to think a little bit about Peter. Now, I love the character of Peter in the New Testament because he's a lot like us. Sometimes he's really spiritual, and sometimes he's not. Sometimes he's doing things like he does in Matthew 16 when Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they all say, well, they're saying you're one of the prophets, and it's Peter who jumps in when Jesus says, who do you say that I am? It's Peter who says, oh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or John chapter 6, when Jesus has given some challenging teaching and people start to leave. They got multitudes following, but people start leaving. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, are you going to go too? And it's Peter who jumps in and says, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I'm like, wow, man, that's awesome. Sometimes he's really spiritual, and sometimes he's not, because it's right after he makes this big confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God in Matthew 16. Right after that, he, Jesus predicts his upcoming demise in Jerusalem, and Peter says, no, 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 stop talking that way. And do you remember what Jesus calls Peter? He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, I don't know if there's much worse than that, but you ever been, I don't know if anybody's ever called you Satan, but can you imagine being called Satan by Jesus Christ himself? I mean, it doesn't get much worse than that. I mean, that's a pretty low point for Peter. Or it's Peter who, in protecting Jesus, tries to take somebody's head off, misses, and gets his ear. And so while Peter is a really great role model, there's a lot of times that, that he struggles. And, and Paul calls him out for, for not, not accepting the Gentiles and not hanging out with Gentiles and kind of being prejudiced about the Jewish Gentile thing. He, he struggles at times. Sometimes he's really spiritual. Sometimes he's not. And when he gets to his lowest, I think, Peter's rock bottom, if it's from my perspective, is when Jesus has gathered his disciples in the upper room and he predicts that Peter would deny him three times. I appreciate the guy who led the Lord's Supper. He mentions this story. And then as Jesus is going through a series of trials that are an absolute farce of justice, he's all alone. 
He's got nobody left, but Peter's sitting outside in the courtyard. And three times somebody looks at Peter and says, hey, we know you, you're one of Jesus's guys. And three times Peter denies it. The third time he denies it so strongly, the text says he, he invokes a curse, which basically means he says, if I'm lying, may God send me to hell. May God curse me. Really strong language. He invokes a curse on himself if he's lying, when he actually is lying. And then that moment when their eyes meet, look at this verse Luke chapter 22. If you have a Bible, turn it to Luke chapter 22. And after the three denials, here's what happens. Verse 61, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Have you ever wondered what that look was like? What did Peter see in the eyes of Jesus? And I don't know, but I want to come back to that in a minute. But their eyes met and Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. But we know the rest of the story, right? If this was the end of the story, we'd be like, wow, what happened to Peter? Did he, did he ever come back from this? This is, this is rock bottom. But you know the rest of the story. And you know absolutely that just a few weeks later, Peter is standing before thousands of people on the day of Pentecost and preaches the resurrected Jesus for the first time, and he writes a documents in the New Testament. He's the primary leader in the first few, first 11, 12 chapters of the book of Acts. He's a big character. He obviously comes back from this. How? How do you come back from such a rock-bottom moment? And for me, the answer is found earlier in the chapter in Jesus' interaction with Peter. So we're going to back up in Luke chapter 22, and we're going to go to verse 31. All right, so Luke chapter 22, verse 31. They're in the upper room. Jesus has taught them in several different ways. But he comes to the point where he's now going to predict Peter's denial. Here's how it goes. Verse 31 of Luke 22. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Listen, Satan's coming. And it's not going to be pleasant. This is going to be a major test of your life. And I want to skip a verse down to verse 33. Peter says to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Man, nothing can take me down. Nothing can separate us. I'm with you all the way. And Jesus said in verse 34, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Now, let's imagine that you're in Jesus' shoes. Now, none of us are Jesus. None of us can... can Think through a situation quite like Jesus did. But imagine you're in Jesus' shoes, and one of your closest friends says that he would never leave you, but you know that he's going to deny you. In your loneliest moment, he's going to deny you. What are you going to say to him? Like, you know the future. I think I'm going to say something like, what is wrong with you, man? Of all of the awful things that you could do in the worst possible moments, I'm about to go through the worst moments of my life, and you're going to deny that you even know, know me? Man. That's a, that is an awful move from you. That's, that's what I'm going to say. I'm going to give it to him, right? And say, boy, what's wrong with you? But I want you to see what Jesus says to him. And I want to go back to verse 32. So as Satan's coming, verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Have you ever noticed that little verse before? Instead of saying, man, Peter, what is wrong with you? Jesus looks at Peter and says, listen, I know what's coming. It's going to be bad. And you're going to hit rock bottom. But you know what? 
I, have, I know what's going to happen, and I have already prayed for you that this doesn't ruin your faith. In fact, I know it's not going to ruin your faith because when you come back from this, I want you to strengthen your brothers, and that's what he does for the rest of his life. How is it that Peter comes back from such a rock-bottom spiritual moment? I think it's because he knew that Jesus was on his side. Isn't that what Jesus communicates here? Listen, I know you're about to deny me, but I've prayed for you. I don't want this to ruin your faith. I'm, we're in this together. I'm on your side. I am not out to get you. And that reframes for me the moment when their eyes meet later in the chapter and Peter looks up and Jesus looks at him. What do you think, what do you think was, it, was on Jesus' face? I don't know. I've always imagined it was disdain and shame and disappointment. But I wonder... If maybe when Jesus looks with Peter, and I'm just imagining this, that there's a glimmer of hope, that there's a little bit of, I told you so, but hey, remember our conversation? I'm on your side. This, does, this doesn't have to ruin your faith. This is going to get tough, but this doesn't have to ruin everything. I wonder if that's, that's what happened when their eyes, their eyes met. I don't know. But here's what I'm pretty confident of. The reason that Peter comes back from such a rock-bottom moment is because he knew that Jesus was on his side. Without a shadow of a doubt, Jesus was not thinking, I can't wait to punish you, Peter, you, you idiot. No, Jesus says, I'm praying for you, this doesn't ruin things. What about us? When we hit those rock-bottom moments, or when we just have periods of time when spiritually we're not as strong as we should be, we struggle with temptation more, Here's what I want you to know, based on Peter's interaction with Jesus, I think it's important for us to remember that God is not out to get me. When I sin, God is not out to get you. When Peter sinned, was Jesus out to get him? Was Jesus out to take him down? No. Jesus had said, I'm on your side, I'm praying for you. And wouldn't the same be true for us today when we struggle with sin as followers of Jesus? That God isn't out to get us, he's on our side. I think sometimes we view God as like this, this grand taskmaster in the skies, just, just waiting to punish us, just waiting to bring us down. You ever had a principal in school that you were scared of? I mean, one of those principals that was mean and scary, and maybe back in the day he was ready for a whooping. I mean, it, and you just knew he was just waiting for somebody to mess up. I think sometimes we view God in that way, that he's just... He's just up there wherever he's at, just waiting. He's just waiting for us to mess up so that he can punish us. You know why I know that's not the case? Because he sent God, or he sent his son Jesus, to take the punishment that we deserved. He loves us so much that he sent Jesus, instead of punishing us, instead of sitting up there just waiting on us to mess up, he sent Jesus and Jesus already took the punishment. In 1 Peter 3, or 2 Peter 3 rather. Now again, remember this is Peter who's just had this interaction with Jesus 30 years or so before this. And Peter's writing 2 Peter and there's some questions about when Jesus is coming back. And there's some folks who are saying, he must not be coming back, he hadn't come back yet. And Peter makes this argument that God's in control, he's on his own timing. But then he says in, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, but God is patient towards you. That's why I hadn't come back yet. God is patient towards you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Wait a second. 
So God doesn't want anyone to suffer eternal damnation. Sometimes we present God as if to say that's what he's that's what he wants. He can't wait to punish those who've rebelled against him. No, 1 Peter, 2 Peter 3 verse 9 says, God doesn't want to do that to anybody. He wants all people to come back to him. He's not waiting up there to punish us. He sent Jesus to die for us so that he wouldn't have to punish us. When you sin, after you sin, God is not out to get you. I wonder if we could imagine that moment between Peter and Jesus when their eyes meet And what that would be like when we go through times when we struggle with sin, or maybe we've had a spiritual bad day, and we're sorry, and we've confessed, but we're just not, we're not feeling it, we're not feeling very confident about about our salvation, and what it would be like if our eyes were to meet Jesus' eyes, and we're sorrowful, and we're sad, and we don't really know what to do, what would we see in his eyes? Disappointment, frustration, disdain. Well, I'd invite you to see grace and mercy and love from a God who's not out to get you, but wants you to come back. Let me talk to two groups of people. Let me start with those of you, and I think the vast majority of you, who are trying to do what's right, and you're trying to follow Jesus but you struggle sometimes, like, like all of us. We have spiritually bad days. And in those moments, we begin to wonder if, if we're in or out. And I think there's a lot of people, there's a lot of Christians that I know at least that struggle with this. And I think there's a lot of, I work with college students, so I think a lot of them are struggling with confidence in their salvation. A couple of, I guess, five years ago, six years ago, 2015, our theme for Horizons Camp at Fried Hardeman was fearless. And so we had a day in chapel to talk about our, our theme. And so we thought we'd have a little fun. And so we sent out a survey and basically asked the students, what's your biggest fears? What we were expecting from this survey was for, for people to list funny things like snakes and spiders, etc. And we got a little bit of this, but also in that list, we got some pretty serious fears. And here's a couple of the answers we got. Number three in our survey was hell. Number six was uncertainty about my relationship with God. Now here's what's fascinating about a survey like this. We sent this out to 1,400, 1,500 students. We got 100 people who filled it out. What kind of person fills a survey out like this? The most conscientious ones, right? Like you send me a survey like this on campus, you know what I'm probably gonna do with it? I'm gonna look at it and be like, eh, delete, right? I'm not one of those nice guys that fills out your survey for you. The kids who filled this out were the good kids, who were like, oh, I think I want to help. These are the good kids. And the very, I'd say the very best kids on campus in response to this survey said their biggest fears were about their relationship with God, which indicates to me that some of the kids who probably are trying the hardest to follow Jesus are the ones who struggle in their confidence in their relationship with God. And that shouldn't be the case. That shouldn't be the case. Maybe I could say it this way. If you have, if your father is still alive, maybe you can reflect on, on your relationship with your father. Have you ever disappointed your father, your earthly father before? I have. I, I work with my father at, at the Stantonville Church, and he just became one of the elders. And you know what? I, I've disappointed my father many times. I can tell you some pretty good stories about that. And I bet occasionally I still disappoint him. Maybe in the way I say something or the way that I discipline my kids, I bet I disappoint my father. But even when I disappoint my father, 
I'm still my father's son. Thankfully. If you are a follower of Jesus who is trying to do what's right and you're trying to walk in the light, you know what? Even when you disappoint your father, you are still your father's son. I'm still my father's son. Even when you disappoint your father, you are still your father's daughter. You're still your father's child. But I'm afraid sometimes we treat our relationship with God as this in and out thing. So let's play it like this. Let's imagine that this stage is, represents being in Christ, all right? There's not, I'm not saying like the only one in, you get what I'm saying. Just play along with my illustration here. And so when I'm baptized, I'm out here, I'm, I'm outside of Christ, and when I put on Christ in baptism, well, now I'm, now I'm in Christ, right? So here I am in Christ, and I think we go through these stages in life where maybe we struggle a little bit more with sin, maybe we haven't read our Bible for a few days, and we, our confidence is shaken, and so maybe we think, well, now I'm outside of Christ, and so then I think, well, okay, what can I do to get back in? So I pray a little bit more, I, I resist temptation a little bit better, I read my Bible a little bit more, and then I'm, then I'm back in. But then I go for a week without reading my Bible again, and oop, I'm back out. Then I read my Bible again a little while, and then I'm back in. And I'm in, out, and I'm in, and I'm out, and I'm in over and over again. Tell me where you find that sort of in-out Christianity in the New Testament. You don't find it in the New Testament. That's not biblical Christianity, that's works-based salvation in Christianity. If you are in Christ, that is a solid place to stand and you can have some confidence, a lot of confidence in your place in Christ. I wanna go back to the passage that was read during the scripture reading. When we were in Peru, for a lot of folks, the biblical message of salvation was new to them and so they would, they would ask, Okay, once I'm baptized, well, what happens when I sin then? And we would always take them to 1 John chapter 1. And here's, here's the comforting words of 1 John 1. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Now let that sink in a little bit. If you're walking in the light, well, what does walking in the light mean? Here's kind of how I imagine it. Let's imagine that, that this... This aisle represents walking in the light. It means that, that I'm walking towards Jesus. I, I've heard it said like this, I'm seeking his face. Now, as I walk along this path in the light, am I going to struggle sometimes? Am I going to fall down? Yeah. There's going to be times I'm going to be barely moving along this path as I walk in the light. And there's going to be times I'm going to need help, but I'm, I'm trying. It's, not, it's far from perfection, but I'm trying to walk in the light. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says if I'm trying to walk in the light, the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses me from my sins. Which means you can have some confidence. And so in our series of words this weekend, yes, you are loved deeply by God, and yes, you can be forgiven. And yes, we are brought together as a family, but once you've been brought into the family of God and are forgiven, you can be confident in your salvation that's found in Jesus Christ. Have some confidence in the blood of Jesus and in the love of God for you. Have some confidence in that. You don't have to lay your head down on your pillow every night and wonder. I've heard my dad describe a story of when he was a kid, there was this, this little old lady at church that was kind of a pillar of that church in the hills of West Virginia. She'd been there for years, and my dad remembers as a child hearing her say to someone else in another conversation, if I make it into heaven, it'll be by the skin of my teeth. What, do you, what kind of impact do you think that makes on a child? 
to hear someone who's a pillar in the faith say, if I make it in, it's just going to be barely. That is not the message of the New Testament. It's not the message of biblical Christianity. It shouldn't be the kind of message that we send to those around us and to the children in our church. We ought to be folks who are confident in the grace of God and in the salvation that he's given us. And we can be confident because of the blood of Jesus, because of what God has done for us. If you are in Christ, that's a solid place to stand. Have some confidence in that. Now, let me talk to those of you in another group, and I imagine this is a much smaller group. But while I said the in and out game is not a, a biblical concept, it is possible to choose, once you're in Christ, to choose to step out and walk away. It's possible for you to say, you know what, I'm done trying, and you, so you were in Christ and you say, I'm just not gonna try anymore, I'm not gonna try to walk in the light, and you walk away. That's entirely possible, and if that's you, that could have happened for a variety of reasons. Maybe at home you're one of those folks. Maybe you grew up in church and you're watching online now and you're, you're thinking about coming back, but you just at some point decided, I'm done with this, and you walked away. You walked out of your relationship with God. Maybe there's some folks in the auditorium right now who you've done that internally, but you're still going through the motions externally, so nobody knows it. That's easy to do, isn't it? We can put on a, a good face and we can come to church and go through all the motions so that everybody thinks everything is fine, but in reality, we've walked away from the Lord. If that's you, here's what I want you to know. God is still not out to get you. You may think that he is. You may think, I could never come back because because God is out to get me. He's, he's mad at me. He doesn't love me anymore. He's mad at me. I want you to know he's still not out to get you. Do you know how I know that to be the case? Because there's this story of, of a young man in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 15, that Jesus tells. And here's what happens in this story. A guy decides that he's done with, with the good life he's had at home. And he's decided that he's going to step outside of his house and he's going to walk away. He's done. And so he walks away and he leaves everything that he knows and he goes and lives it up for a while, has some fun, and realizes then that he's messed up. Maybe like some of you. You realize you're in a bad spot spiritually because you chose to walk away and you don't really know what to do about it. So he finally comes to his senses and he decides, I guess I'll go back home. Maybe I can have the place of a servant. And when he gets back to the house or within sight of the house, he he looks up and he sees his father standing on the front porch. And what's the father doing? The father's standing there on the front porch with a belt. Saying, come on, son. We're about to have at it. Is that what happens? No. The father sees his son from afar off. And he runs to his son. He hugs him and he kisses him and he brings him back home, restores his position as a son, and throws a party for him. Because that's how much he loves his son. He's not out to get him. He wants more than anything else for his son to come back home. If you've walked away, here's what I want you to know. There's still a place at the table for you. There's still a place at the table and God is waiting for you. This church is waiting for you to come fill your place again. 
It's a funny thing that happens to the college students that I know, and some of you have experienced this. When you first go to college, uh, your mom, your parents miss you, and so they keep your bedroom and stuff, and, and everything's fine. But after two or three years, when all of a sudden they're like, okay, we, we don't really, we miss them, but it's time to move on with life. You know what they do? They turn your bedroom into a guest room or a craft room or an office. And at some point, maybe your senior year of college, you come home from Christmas break and you're like, what happened to my bedroom? This is my house. And they're like, well, not after you finish this next semester, it's not your house anymore because you're moving on, right? And so they, they may replace your bedroom and, and turn it into a craft room or an office or a guest room. But isn't it comforting to know no matter how long you're gone, there's always a place at the table for you. There's always a place at the table. And if you've walked away from Jesus, I want you to know that God's not out to get you. There's still a place at the table. And you can have some confidence that he's waiting on you. And he wants you to come home. So what do you do with this? If you're someone who's walking in the light and trying to follow Jesus, here's, here's what I would encourage you to do if you struggle with your confidence sometimes. When you sin, when you have a bad spiritual day, I encourage you to confess and express. I made a little rhyme for you, right? So number one, confess your sins. Be honest about it. Just like 1 John chapter 1 says, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive your sins. Confess those sins and then express your confidence that God has forgiven those sins. Because sometimes we confess and then we're like, okay, I've confessed, but I still am not sure about this. Listen, if you have confessed your sin and you believe the Bible to be true, what is the promise of the Bible? The promise of the Bible is if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. Express that confidence. Say, God, I've committed these sins. I am sorry. I don't want to be this way. Help me. And I am confident that you've forgiven me. Confess and express. But if you're one of those folks who's not struggling with the in and out game, in and out, but you've decided to just walk away, walk out, then we invite you to, to come back. And you might do that publicly during the invitation song here in a minute, but that's just kind of a long tradition that we've had in Churches of Christ. And, and so maybe you're, you're not ready for that yet. Then I would encourage you, go talk to an elder. Go talk to one of the ministry staff. Talk to somebody. And here's what I think you'll find. I think you'll find that, that there's still a place at the table and they want you, they want you, to, call, they want you to come back. Right? That's, that's what they want. Let me illustrate it like this, and this is not the best illustration, but we'll go for it. And I'm gonna pick on, on Ben Burnett, right? Just because I love Ben and I've had Ben in class before. So let's imagine that, that Ben gets, let's, let's go back five or six years before he's, now he's a successful businessman, but let's go back when he was just a poor college student and, and Ben takes Matt Cook's Life of Christ class, maybe his first semester. You didn't take my Life of Christ class, I don't think. But let's imagine that he does. And that's not a terribly hard class. It's a freshman level class. But Ben's having the time of his life in his freshman year of college. And man, he's having fun. So he doesn't study a whole lot, doesn't take his academics real seriously. And by the end of the semester, he's, he's sitting kind of at a mid-level C. And he knows his parents aren't going to be real thrilled about that. And so he's like, okay, I got I to gotta fix this. I got to raise my grade. And so the final exam comes along and he's like, okay, if I can do really, really, really well, I can maybe raise this to a B, but I can't do poorly because, man, that dropped me to a D. And I do not want to get a D in the life of Christ, right? Who gets a D in the life of Jesus? 
So it's the night before the final, and he knows he's got to study. This is not vacation Bible school. This is college. So he's going to study. But his, his friends call him up and say, man, it's finals week. It's the last week. Let's go, let's go to town. Let's go out there. Let's go to the movies. And he's like, oh, I don't need to. But it's the last week with friends. So he's like, all right, let's go. And so he rolls with his friends, and he goes out till late, has a big time. They come back to the dorms, and they play video games half the night. He's up till 3 o'clock in the morning. He doesn't study for the test, but he's like, it's the life of Jesus. I grew up in church. I got this. So he comes in and he takes the test and he bombs it. Fails the test miserably and it drops his grade in the life of Christ to a D. And he thinks this is not good. This is going to hurt his scholarship money. He knows when he gets home there's going to be some long conversations about taking college a little bit more seriously. He knows he's in trouble. So he calls, he calls up his dad and he says, Dad, I'm... I'm really sorry. This is what happened. And his dad says, it's fine. We'll talk about it when you get home. So Ben makes the, the long ride home from Henderson to, to Buford. And when he gets home, he pulls in the driveway. And he's just glad to be home for Thanksgiving break, man, to have some of his mom's cooking. And it's Christmas time. It's going to be so fun. In fact, he, he walks up to the door, and he can hear the Christmas music playing. He can smell fresh Christmas cookies that have been baked. And so he, he gets out his key, and he's going to well, it's, we're past keys now. He sees the code on the door. He's like, okay. So he enters his code, and it, it beeps, and it doesn't work. Like, it's code to get in the house. And he's like, well, that's weird. But we change these sometimes. Maybe something happens, so they change it. So, so he texts his, his mom, says, hey, I'm home. Can you come let me in? And no response. Nothing. So then he thinks, well, that's weird. So he said, I can hear them in there. So he's knocking on the door, and then he, then he calls. Nobody answers. And so finally, after about 15 minutes of this, his dad kind of, cracks open the door and says, son, because you got a D in, in this class, you're no longer in the family. And he slams the door. Now don't go, oh, poor Ben. It's just a made-up story, all right? All right? And here's, nobody's going to do that is my point. Now they're going to be disappointed. They're going to have some long conversations. You're in big trouble. Ben, did you get a D in Life of Christ, actually? You no, you didn't. Good. But if, if he had, there's, that's going to be a big deal. But no father is going to say, forget it, you're out of the family because you've disappointed us so severely. But sometimes we treat God that way. And we think, even though I'm trying, but I have a bad moment, I mess up, that somehow God is going to say, that's it, it's done, I'm kicking you out of the family. Is that really the God that we read about in the New Testament, that sent his son to die for us, that is patient towards us, and that wants everyone to repent? Listen, even when you sin, God is not out to get you. And even after you sin, you are, there it is, your father's child. You're your father's child even when you disappoint him. And you can have some confidence in your relationship with him. This morning, if we can help you in any way to make your relationship right with God, we'd love to do that while we stand and sing together. As I... 